Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Okay, well, yeah, thank you so much for um, uh, allowing me to be here and bring the Word of God to you. Um, so just a, a little bit more about myself. I, uh, I came to faith in Christ when I was 19 years old. Um, I grew up in Sacramento, and uh, I found my way here in uh, Bakersfield because uh, after I um, graduated college in L.A., I went to seminary, and then uh, after seminary, I got hired as a staff chaplain here in Bakersfield. So that's actually what brought me here to Bakersfield. And um, so, as uh, Jacob said, I am married to the love of my life, Brianne, and uh, she stays home with the, with the boys. Uh, I have Henry, who's four, and William, who's a year and a half. So as you can imagine, uh, our house is full of action all the time. But if, uh, if you will, please uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 15. So we're going to be in Psalm 15 this morning. And as you're turning there, um, as I was preparing this week, I actually came across a really interesting account. Uh, I read a story about uh, Queen Elizabeth. Uh, so Queen Elizabeth, the Queen of England, came to the United States uh, many years ago on one of her visits, and uh, she was visiting Los Angeles. And as she was in Los Angeles, she wanted to see what the commoners of America lived like. So she ordered her chauffeur to drive through a typical uh, Los Angeles neighborhood. And as she was driving down the street, she ordered her driver to stop and pull over and she got out, walked up to a random home, and knocked at the door. The woman inside was not expecting anything. She opened the door, and she came face to face with the monarch herself, the Queen of England. And she was not aware of the uh, you know, royal uh, customs or how you approach or address uh, uh, royalty by using you know, your majesty or anything. So what she did was, in her excitement, she hugged the Queen of England. Standing around Queen Elizabeth was uh, all of her security and staff and her entourage and everyone, their jaw just dropped and were shocked that this common woman would treat the Queen of England, so common, so common. It seems unfortunate that too often in uh, American evangelicalism that we too can treat the King of Heaven, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, uh, all too common. Um, what we're going to see today in Psalm 15 is God's 
prescribed regulations on how one is supposed to approach and present yourself before the king, before the Lord. That's why the title of this message is, Who May Approach the King? Uh, And this psalm describes the character of a worshiper of the Lord and what God requires of you this morning, what God requires of me when you come before the Lord in worship. And if you will follow along with me as I read Psalm 15, it says, A Psalm of David. O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. Uh, Psalm 15 was probably uh, quoted by the ancient worshipers as they traveled to uh, Jerusalem for the annual feasts. Uh, Some commentators uh, say that Psalm 15 was a liturgy uh, that they would come to the tabernacle and they would actually recite this as they were entering the gate. Uh, Psalm 15 really is not too complex, uh, not too complicated to understand. It actually opens with a, a question. Really, it's the question of questions, and some commentators have called this psalm Uh, the ultimate Q&A. Because in verse 1, it opens with a question, and then verses 2 through really the beginning of verse 5 is the answer, is the answer. And then at the very end, that last line, is the promise, is the promise. And Psalm 15 focuses on the way of the righteous, and it gives instructions for us, so that we know what we ought to be when we come before the Lord. So as we go, we'll see first in verse 1, the question, and then 2 through 5, it's going to give 10 characteristics of the worshiper of the Lord. 10 characteristics uh, that ought to be in your life and ought to be characterized in my life if we are to come before the Lord. In worship. If you will go ahead and look at really in verse 1, it says, O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell in your holy hill? If you look, these are two rhetorical questions. Um, it, the, David wrote this, these two questions, to cause you to think, to make you ponder. Well, who is it? Who is this person who may abide in your tent? Who is this person who may dwell uh, in your holy hill? Well, this word abide uh, really is a, 
a, a word that means a sojourner or someone who is on a journey. And as you know, a tent is something that is, is temporary. Right? Probably in the psalm it was referring to the tabernacle. Uh, something that was never meant to be a permanent uh, dwelling. When you go camping, you pitch a tent, right? It's not your permanent residence. You will take it down at some point. But then in the second question, it says, who may dwell in your holy hill? This is a, an idea of a permanent resident uh, in your hill, right? A hill is, is pretty permanent. A hill is not going to go anywhere. A mountain doesn't go anywhere. That's about as permanent as you can get. So what the question is saying is, is, no matter if you are here temporary or you're here permanently, whether you're on this earth or you're in heaven, who may dwell with the Lord? Uh, who may abide with the Lord? What is the characteristic of the person that is going to be allowed as a, as a guest in the king's house? And then from verses 2 through 5, we're going to see the 10 characteristics. The, we're going to see the answer to that question of who may abide with the Lord. So go ahead and look at verse 2. The first one is, the first characteristic is, it is a personal conduct that must be blameless. A personal conduct that must be blameless. It says that uh, he who walks with integrity, he who walks with integrity, the word walk, that verb uh, in scripture so often means uh, it is the, um, the pattern of life. It's the pattern of someone, uh, of their conduct, of their daily walk. Uh, we use that so often and when we're talking with each other, we'll say, oh, how's your walk with the Lord, right? It means... Really, how's your, your daily walk, your daily activities in life? But the key word is the modifier, the integrity. Integrity. This word has a, really a wide range of meanings. Uh, it could mean uh, uh, perfect, unimpaired, innocent. Some of your translations might say blameless. Uh, a complete sound. Flawless. It actually has been used, the same word used uh, when talking about sacrifices that uh, are brought before the Lord, where it says, bring a spotless animal, a spotless lamb, something that is complete. It's where we get the mathematical term integer, something whole. Uh, it's not something that you can cut in parts, uh, it's the totality, the whole. It is. Every part of your life, every part of your life uh, is the same, no matter where you go. If you're at home, you're the same person. If you're at work, you're the same person. When you're at the grocery store, going for a walk, uh, you can't divide your character up where you're a different person at home or when you're at work, you're a different person and you have this kind of a uh, Jekyll and Hyde idea. You, there is a consistency in your life. Uh, now, one of the questions that is brought up, uh, and then I should probably address it now, is uh, does this mean that it is somehow a, 
salvation by works, that, that the person who is going to be saved needs to do these things in order to be saved. No, it's talking about sanctification. Sanctification. Uh, it's, um, it's the idea that when someone comes to Christ, that person uh, ought to have a difference in their life, that when they are reborn, there is a, a newness, a new heart, a new desire. Uh, there will be a, always an increasing, uh, increasingness in their holiness, that every day that they are continually changing, that there is a progressiveness in their sanctification, that their daily walk should match their position. Uh, this is what James, in James 2 Verses 14 through 17 says, if you'll just listen, it says, What use is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith but has no works, can that faith save him? Uh, If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? In the same way, faith also, if it has no works, is dead by itself. What James is saying is, is your walk ought to match your position. If you say that you are a believer and there is a change in your life, there ought to be evidence. There ought to be fruit uh, that shows that you are saved. That's exactly what this psalm is teaching. These are characteristics of a believer This is not a prescription on how to be saved. So we not only see that the characteristic of a believer is their personal uh, conduct, we also see in verse 2 that they must be characterized by doing righteous acts. By doing righteous acts. Uh, It says, uh, he who walks with integrity and then works righteousness... Uh, this word righteousness denotes what is uh, morally acceptable. And in the book of Revelation, it says that believers are going to be uh, adorning themselves with righteous acts. Uh, it's whatever is ethically right, whatever is prescribed by the word of God, that is what the believer is supposed to be doing. Whatever conforms to the standard of God. And then we see the third characteristic is uh, speaking truth sincerely. He speaks truth in his heart. Uh, The word truth here is whatever is reliable or dependable. Uh, What is said must be right. And what is said must correspond to reality. Now, when we read this, you, you read it and you think, speaks truth, and then you want to s- say the next word is in from your mouth, speaks truth from your lips. But it says, speaks truth in your heart. Uh, the heart is considered the center of the will. Uh, it's the place of decisions, where decisions are made and intentions lie the intentions of the heart. Uh, With the believer, there can be 
uh, no hidden agenda, no half-truths. The truth, when it is spoken, must be sincere, and that must be the intent of your heart. And really, Jesus, I think, just clearly explains it. I couldn't put it any better than what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, verse 20. Listen to what Jesus said. That which comes out of the person, that, uh, that is what defiles the person. For from within, out of the heart of people come evil thoughts, acts of sexual immorality, thieves, murderers, acts of adultery, deeds of greed, wickedness, deceit, indecent behavior, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within and defile a person. Uh, not, that's, that's what uh, the psalm is saying, that everything that you do ought to be evidence of a changed heart, that whenever you do something, it is because your heart has been, been regenerated by the Spirit of God. You have a changed heart. But now we come to verse 3, and you'll notice that in verse 2, everything is put in the positive. It is what a believer does. And then when you get to verse 3, you'll notice that it's in the negative, right? Not slander, nor, nor. Not only are believers supposed to be known for what they do, believers are known also for what they don't do, for what they don't do. The negatives are in there, and they are used as a, a permanent objective to something, uh, that, they, that they don't stand for a, a, any kind of temporary, uh, temporary behavior. It stands for an ongoing negation, that this is also a pattern of life for uh, believers, that they don't do these certain things. Uh, we see now the fourth characteristic. The fourth characteristic is in verse 3. It says that they must not slander. Must not slander. Verse 3, he does not slander with his tongue. Uh, the Hebrew word for slander comes from the similar root word for leg and spy. Leg and spy. And it has this idea of someone who walks around spying. Uh, someone who, who is a conspirator. Someone who goes into a situation with the idea of being a spy. Looking for little tidbits of information that they can get a hold to, regardless of if it's true or not, and then turn around and just spread it out, uh, regardless of who it hurts, regardless of if it's true or not. Uh, there's this, this uh, uh, desire, this deep hunger for information so that it can quickly go out and, and ruin someone's character. And in fact, while I was preparing for this, one a uh, person uh, called someone who is a slanderer, uh, they use the term a character assassination. I, th 
thought that was a pretty, pretty good way of putting it. It's someone who wants to assassinate someone's character. The believer is uh, not someone who is privy to gossip. Uh, it is not someone who desires to slander with his tongue at all. That's not the characteristic. Actually, in fact, James has a lot to say about the tongue, doesn't he? The, uh, in James 1, it says, If anyone thinks himself to be re- religious, yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, that person's religion is worthless. Uh, we need to be careful at what we say and what information we pass on. Not only uh, should we not be a slanderer, the fifth characteristic is we don't cause others pain. In verse 3 it says, nor does evil to his neighbor. Nor does evil to his neighbor. Uh, Evil just means really evil. Causing harm, unnecessary uh, pain to someone. Uh, that isn't a characteristic of, of a worshiper. Um, now, does that mean that you're not supposed to confront someone if you see that their pattern of life is maybe harmful or they're caught in some type of sin, uh, knowing that confronting them might cause them some type of a pain or being distraught? It's, no, it's not talking about that. Right there are there is a time when we need to talk with each other gently uh, about uh, a harmful pattern of life that we see in someone, or we need to uh, confront someone uh, because of sin in their life, and there's a potential that that might seemingly cause them harm, but the end goal is to restore them. Right? Isn't that what Proverbs uh, 27.6 says? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Right? Uh, friends don't let other friends sin and continue in it. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about someone who deliberately does evil for the purpose of bringing harm to another person. Uh, and the question is, well, who is the neighbor? Uh, really, any, it's really anyone, anyone you come in contact with. Leviticus said we are to love our neighbors. And Jesus really explains uh, the, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, who is our neighbor? Really, it's anyone, anyone. We are to be intentional of doing good to all, to all. And then next, in the uh, sixth characteristic, uh, worshipers must not bring a reproach to others. It says here, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. Uh, uh, reproach means a, really a cunning taunt, a, a scorn, sharp criticism, a personal attack on someone. And friend means the the closest relationships that you can have, uh, close friendships, uh, family 
is a good example of who a, this friend is talking about. And isn't it so often that we find ourselves that we can be short-tempered with our loved ones, our closest loved ones, and maybe not that way with our neighbor, uh, someone at work. But that's not, supposed, that's not the case. That should not be the case with a worshiper. That we need to love our family, love uh, those who are in our closest friendships, that we need to value those and hold those up. Uh, we need to uh, promote them. We need to praise them. Uh, that James also said about the tongue in relation to this, that the same tongue should not have where blessings come out of the same tongue and then cursings out of the same tongue. That there should be a consistency in what you say and who you say it to, especially our loved ones. Not only are we not supposed to be a, uh, bring a reproach to others, we see the seventh characteristic, the seventh characteristic in verse 4. Uh, it is that worshipers must distinguish between a vile person and a righteous person. A vile person and a righteous person. Look at what it, it says. It says, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. A reprobate. This means essentially a vile person. The person who loves things that are contrary to the word of God. Uh, those who are lost, the unbelievers. Um, it's not talking about having a, not, we're not supposed to have a compassion for the lost. Uh, it's, that's not what it's talking about, but it's talking about that we're de to despise what they love. Despise what they love. Um, I think of people who you see these lost people who are extremely successful. They have any and everything that their hearts desire, money, career, um, cars, you know, they're secure financially. Um, we are not to covet those things. We are not to uh, have a, a, a passion for those things like they do at all. Uh, their ultimate goal of why they do what they do is not to glorify the Lord, it's to glorify themselves. It's a total self-interest and self-fulfillment. It is that idea that we are to despise. We are to despise it. John in 1 John tells us that we are not to love the world, right? Anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Not only are we to despise the wicked, but we are to uh, love the righteous. Uh, this uh, verb here, where it says honor those who fear the Lord, uh, it can mean praise, uh, as in giving glory to the, to the Lord, or to treat with honor, or give respect uh, as in, uh, when, in the Ten Commandments when it says you are to honor your father and your mother, we are to honor those who love the Lord. That there is a, uh, 
special place within the believer's heart for other believers, right? That we are uh, to look beyond the flow of, of what is popular in our culture, and we are to cling to the truths of Scripture and those who love the truth of Scripture, that we share that with them, that there's a special place that we hold within our hearts for those who love the Lord. In, uh, if you look quickly down in uh, Psalm 16, verse 3, it says, As for the saints who, on, who are in earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. That's what David said, that the majestic ones, the saints in the earth, that's what he delights in. Well, that should be our delight too. We should delight to be in the house of the Lord. We should delight to be around other believers. We should delight to be in Bible study where we can have a little respite from the world and be in fellowship with others. That should be our ultimate delight. But not only that, we also see further in verse 4 that he, uh, the worshiper, this is uh, number 8, the eighth characteristic, that they hold to the sanctity of an oath. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. Uh, This... uh, Eighth characteristic is that the righteous may, may swear but uh, to an oath and won't go back on their word, even if it's painful for them. Um, the David here in the psalm, he's dealing with faithfulness. Faithfulness, that you are faithful at your word. When you make a commitment to something, that you follow through with it. That your yes is yes and your no is no that you can be relied on, that you, can be, that you are dependable, that you are faithful, that you are true to your word, right? Uh, whenever we make an oath or we make a covenant, that we stick with it, that we don't have any kind of pattern of breaking it at all. And that's what the word of God instructs us, that we need to... Keep our word. Not only that, but we see the ninth characteristic, and it's in um, uh, here in verse, also in uh, verse now. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I was looking in uh, Psalm 16. In uh, now we're in verse five. The ninth characteristic is that. Uh, worshipers don't lend money with interest. It says he does not put out his money at interest. Um, this means that really um, uh, lending money, it's, it has its roots in uh, really in ancient times where uh, the Israel would uh, lend money to a, another person, uh, another Israeli, and would have p- 
put such a tremendous interest on it. In fact, I was, when I was preparing, I read one commentator said that it could be up to 50% interest. I mean, that's just unheard of. Um, what that means is that we are to put people before money, right? It's not, uh, it's not saying that you can't have a, a job uh, being, uh, I don't know, working at a bank, right, and being a loan officer, and you're lending out money at, at interest. No, this is what this is talking about, is someone who is in need, uh, I think that uh, probably you could say someone in poverty that doesn't have anything and is coming to you with needing money to just have meet daily needs and then yet you look at that as an opportunity to gain you look at that as an opportunity to make money off of their poverty uh, and so you put a high interest rate on it with the potential that they may never be able to fully pay you back with the purpose of putting them further in debt and uh, and using them and in fact this in some of the older translations, it's called usury. Uh, that our desire is never to put people before God, and our desire should never be for the love of money, right? Jesus said in Matthew 6, uh, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Right? Uh, isn't that what happened to uh, Ananias and Sapphira? Right? When they asked them in Acts, uh, did you sell this particular land for this amount? And what did they do? They lied to the Holy Spirit. They had a love for money. That's what this is really talking about. That's what it's getting at, is a love for money, a love beyond people, a love beyond God. Uh, the righteous person should never do that. The righteous person, person should uh, give to those in need freely. But not only that, we see in the last, the last characteristic of the worshiper of the Lord. See this, that he must not take a bribe. He must not take a bribe. Look at verse, verse 5. It says, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. Uh, no one can can expect to be welcomed into the fellowship of the Lord uh, with those who can be bought. The idea of taking a bribe uh, is perverting justice, right? It's perverting justice. That you can be bought, that there is a price, that you can, you can sway your favoritism towards something else by a certain dollar amount. Uh, it's showing, really the idea is showing partiality. 
uh, giving favoritism for someone that can offer you more. Um, it has an idea of failing to be a witness in a court, showing partiality um, when there's something to be gained. And sins like this can disqualify someone to be uh, a person who worships the Lord. Right? Isn't James uh, explain this in James 2 that showing favoritism to someone in the church who is wealthy and well-to-do by not showing the same favoritism uh, to someone who is poor by giving, remember, the, the place of honor to those who are wealthy and shunning those who are poor and vulnerable. That should never be a characteristic of those within the church. Uh, that should never be characteristic of those who claim the name of Christ, uh, that there is a price tag where your affections can be bought. Not only that, we come now to the promise. So what we looked at was in verse 1, we looked at the question, the ultimate question, right? Who may abide with the Lord? And then we just saw and went through 10 characteristics of that person who can abide with the Lord, right? And now we're in the last, the last sentence in this wonderful psalm. And look at it. It says, He who does these things will never be shaken. Those who live a blameless and righteous life those who strive to uh, model and hold to these ten characteristics will never be shaken. Never be shaken. And really, this is the promise to the, to the, to the question in verse 1. That never be shaken is really a spiritual security of, of the devout, spiritual security of those who love the Lord, who are believers. It means that it's someone who will never be shaken in their faith. Uh, no matter uh, what comes your way in life, that your faith is secure, right? Isn't that, it's what's uh, said in Psalm 112. It says uh, in verses uh, 6 and 7, for the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. 2 Peter 1 verse 10 says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. You will never fail. I think of whenever I, I read this this sentence in Psalm 15 of, of what Jesus said, right, about the man who built his house on the rock. Here. I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll read that if you just listen. It says in Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock 
and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. That's really what this is talking about, is if you have built your, your life on the rock, Christ, and you are exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit, you're exhibiting these ten characteristics of this psalm, your life is built on the rock. That regardless of what happens in life, regardless of financial ruin, regardless of any health issue that comes up, death, no matter what happens in life, you are solid on the rock. Your faith is well placed. Not meaning that it's not going to be hard. Not meaning that we don't grieve, right? Isn't that what it says in Scripture that we do grieve, but not as the world who those don't have any hope, but that our ultimate hope is not in this world. Our ultimate hope is in the, the Lord because He is faithful. The Lord is stable. Our faith is secure because our faith is grounded in the Lord. So what we see in this psalm, we see that as the, those in ancient Israel, as they would come up to the, to the tabernacle and worship, and as they were reciting this psalm, it would cause them to think, am I exhibiting these characteristics uh, in life? And then it would cause them to confess their failure, to confess their failure. Uh, the New Testament standard is no different. Jesus said in Matthew 5 uh, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's a high standard. And really none of us can, can keep that outside of Christ. None of us can do that. But that's what we strive for. We strive for that in our daily walk uh, when we uh, get up in the morning, we strive for wholeness. We strive to be a person of integrity. Well, what we learn from this psalm is that when we worship the Lord, that we're not to be overly casual about it, right? That we need to, in our daily walk, when we worship, that there needs to be a reverent awe when we come before the Lord daily. Uh, we also learn in this psalm that in our heart, our heart is important that we have a pure heart, right? That we speak what is true. That relationships are important. Uh, those who we come in contact just casually on it every day or our loved ones, those are important. Uh, how we handle our money is important. Really, every aspect of life, God wants to be the center. And we must try daily to make our life line up with our position in Christ. And none of us, uh, 
can accomplish these things outside of the Lord. And I know that uh, there may be someone in here who says that, you know, I don't know the Lord. I've never come to, to Christ. Well, well, you're here for a reason. You're here to hear this, that, that I can tell you that you are not prepared for eternity. Uh, that when you die and you stand before God, that you will be judged by the righteous, holy God, and he'll judge you according to his law that he has written on your heart, that if you have ever uh, lied or stolen or been disobedient to your parents or um, had anger in your heart, that you have murdered someone in your heart, that you will be found guilty. And God will punish that sin in eternity in hell. But God has provided a way of escape that he has given us the precious Lord Jesus who walked on earth sinless, a sinless life for some 33 years that you and I could not live for 33 seconds, who died on a cross, a Roman cross, was buried and defeated death and hell for all time and eternity. And if you place your faith and trust and trust alone in Christ for, for your salvation, he will give you a new life. He will give you a new heart that you can obey from a pure heart, from a heart that loves the Lord, from a heart that will want to love what is righteous, hate what is evil, and he will grant you eternity into his kingdom where you will forever worship the Lord in sinless praise for all time and eternity. But it is only by faith and by faith alone. Will you pray with me? We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.